Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 210. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in, as always. So thankful that you're here. This is the show where we talk about leadership. Because let's face it, somebody right now is looking to you for influence and guidance. Somebody right now, regardless of your position, regardless of your title, and if you're listening to the show because you want to become a better leader, that's exactly who this is for. Because we're all going to be called to leadership at some time in our lives, we all have an opportunity to become better leaders. Yes, some are more gifted than others, natural leadership ability, but we all have an opportunity to become better leaders. Because again, somebody is looking to you for that guidance. So it's in our best interest to learn all we can about leadership. And so this show is all about bringing people on the show to talk about that, to talk about how to get authentic, how to get vulnerable, how to be courageous, how to overcome fear, right? And that is central to every aspect of our life, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're an entrepreneur, a startup guy, if you're a seasoned executive, it doesn't matter. Leadership applies to all of us. The principles just exist. They're there for our taking. Nobody invented them. They're there for our taking, and they're common sense principles, but it takes a great deal of intentionality, a great deal of intentionality and discipline to you know, become the leaders that we were called to be. And it's a lifelong process too. Never forget that. It's a lifelong process. So hopefully this show can help you in that journey. That is the mission. That is the cause of this show. If you're finding some value in all this great content, please take the time to download the app on your mobile device or your computer. You can Apple device, you can go to iTunes and download the podcast app. It's free. You can subscribe to the show there and leave a rating and review. Let me know what you think about the show. Same thing with your Android device. You can download the Stitcher app. It's free. You can download the show and listen to it on the go and uh, leaving ratings and reviews and subscribing does so much to help with the visibility of the show and it and um, it's getting more crowded out there in the space. And so as we're trying to grow this community, every help that, you know, every review and rating and subscription that you do helps so much. So thank you so much for your support. And you can also go support this show. I decided quite a while ago never to do advertising again. I'm not going to have any sponsorship. But if you find some value in the show, and I love giving all this free content, but you can you can support the show if you like to with this brand new app that a friend of mine, Jonathan George, launched called Recurrency. And it's a way to support creatives, whoever it is. You can support anybody that you see. If they have a Facebook account or you find somebody, you know, support them. And uh, you can find a button on my homepage at doseofleadership.com. And there, there's a red button up there that says support me on recurrency. And you can, you know, a dollar a week or $4 a month, whatever it takes. I mean, if you like this show and you find some value, I would appreciate any support you can. So I can eventually quit my day job, right? Because that's my dream is to have this leadership media center where we can all come to and get great aspirational stories and guidance to become better leaders. And uh, today's guest is a great one. It supports all what we're trying to do here. Tim Story, he's a world-renowned motivational speaker. He's a life coach. And before he was known as a life coach, he began teaching and praying for large masses of people as a traveling minister when he was only 20. And his first speaking engagement was in front of 13,000 people. And now again, he's a speaker, he's an author, he's a life coach, he's traveled all around the world. And back in 1992, in the, gathered a group of 
people together, seven people at the home of Diane Cannon, right, the actress, and start a little Bible study, a Hollywood Bible study. And over the years, thousands of the professionals in, in, in the industry of Hollywood have, have come to him and showed up to be reminded, to be encouraged that things aren't always what they seemed at first. And he helps people with comebacks. You know, he, he has helped countless of people like Robert Downey Jr., Kanye West, Christian Slater, Deion Sanders, Natalie Cole. The list goes on and on. But he's just such a genuine, authentic soul. I saw him on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, and I said, man, I have got to talk to this guy. And I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's Tim's story on Dose of Leadership. Well, Tim, gosh, what a thrill. So excited to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. It is good to be on the program. I've been uh, seeing so many good things that you're doing, and it's a privilege. Oh, man, I tell you, I saw you on uh, your interview with Oprah, and I said, man, I have got to talk to this guy because a lot of what you talk about and a lot of what you believe is central to what I believe and what we talk about here on the show. So give us a little background for the listeners if they're not familiar with you. How did you get started in doing what you do? Well, I was raised in Compton, California, which is in the Los Angeles area. And uh, we were a very happy family, but we were lower income. I like to say it this way. We were, we were lower income, but never lower class. Oh, I like that. Yeah. But, but my family, we, we struggled, but I was always thinking big. It's like the wildest thing that even though we didn't have much, we had at one point seven people in a two-bedroom apartment. And then seven people in a Volkswagen bug. Oh Remember my the old God. bugs? Yes. <laughs> okay, this is this is like you know 1960s. Right. And um, you know that's called illegal. Seven people in a bug. <laughs> <laughs> but I was always thinking big in small places. A lot of humor. Knew I was going to do something. Not exactly what when I was young, but I knew it was going to be something pretty good. So was it? Has you always had a, a walk with you know as a man who's kind of always questioned and struggled with my walk with God. Has God always been central to your life from a very early age, or when did it, when did it come important to you? You know, I think all of us need an introduction uh, to God, and sometimes it's through a person, sometimes it's through an event. Uh, ours was through a lady. There was a lady that used to work at a supermarket, kind of like a normal market, like a Ralph, something like that in Southern California. And she invited my dad to church. And so my father, who had been struggling with alcohol, um, went to church with this lady and her husband. And then the next time brought all five of his children. And we all had this introduction to God. So I, at the time, I was four years of age. So I remember, you know, vaguely. But as I got older... Sunday school, learning about God, the big side of God, the forgiving side of God. And uh, that was my introduction through a lady by the name of Anne. So, and then your father died six years later then, right? When he, when you yes. were 10. So tell me about that. Was that, was that, um, I don't know, how impactful was that for you? It was, it was very, very impactful because again, what, what had happened in our life by not having a lot of money my dad was just starting to make strides. Probably it had been two years that we had moved out of a tougher neighborhood into a better neighborhood. And I remember he was starting to have like a, a glide in his step. You know, when like you're starting to feel better, like about your accomplishment. Yeah, right. So he was transforming. And yeah. Yeah. We had moved, we'd moved into this nicer house for us. It was, uh, it was three bedrooms. We still had seven people, but you know, there was more room, um, and so he was 
riding a motorcycle. My mother didn't want him to have one. He was riding a motorcycle and minding his own business and bless his heart, a guy ran a red light and hit him. Oh, no. And it, it, it changed everything. And uh, I say in one of my books that I never, uh, you know, had that same stride again, at least as a young person. Because, right. you know, the energy of being young and the humor and it, it transformed a lot in our family, really did. So what I guess, yeah, because I guess what I'm trying to ask is like when you see something like that and then your sister died, mm-hmm. uh, how, how soon after that did your sister die? Two, two years after. So, um, you know, here's one of those things about life, as you know. So when you're young, there's so much innocence involved that even though things may be happening wrong in your family, you don't even know about it because you're just walking in a lot of innocence and hope. So when my father died, you think like, that's it. Okay, wow, somebody died. And then uh, my sister Viola, uh, she was riding with her friend uh, from Los Angeles to San Francisco. It was foggy. The friend was driving and went off the freeway could not see and my sister passed the other two ladies lived so that was tragic i mean your father and then your 20 year old sister and my sister had so much life you know she turned me on to james taylor and cat stevens and she was just a really cool hippie girl and um very difficult yeah so how did that okay so that was this the kind of the deepest in the mud moment part. I mean, I'm always fascinated. I call them what I call out of the mud moments. I mean, certainly you've come out of the mud. Was that kind of the darkest moment at that point, that kind of transition between your 10th and between 10 and 20? Was that kind of your, a dark period? I would say no doubt about it. I mean, because, you know, divorce is a big thing for people. Death is a big thing for people. Disappointment. You know, this was different than disappointment. Uh, this was, you know, somebody that's in that house seven people in a house now two are missing right so you're, you're missing the energy of the the breadwinner you know biblically as you know the head of the house is to guide his family to guard and to govern and so now you have a mother my mother with a sixth grade education working at winchell's donut shop trying to take care of her kids so we lost a lot of order that i later had to find in life so how did you pull yourself out of the mud? I mean, what did it take? How did that happen? Thank goodness for Mr. Probert, my sixth grade teacher. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Probert was a Mr. Rogers looking guy, uh, Caucasian, and for some reason saw that I had potential. And he started giving me uh, different books to read. Um, he started talking about uh Tim, you have a fascinating mind. You're going to do big things. I'd never heard anything like that in my life. Wow. So I believed what Mr. Probert said. And so because he had such belief in me, I decided to, you know, step it up and make him proud. So what did you do? What? So how did you get the, so after meeting him, kind of your, was he your catalyst to get into ministry? No. What happened is with Mr. Probert, with Mr. Probert, he, um, you know, he, he got me excited about education. He got me excited about reading. But the ministry side of life uh, happened much, much later. I was more into sports at that time. I was into Little League baseball. I was into Pop Warner football. 
But Mr. Prober got me more into education and prospering where I was planted. The ministry came later in life. I'm just, this is just fascinating to me because you started, was it when you were about 20 years old, I think, when you were starting to um, to minister and to, and to start? And speaking to giant crowds, yeah. What happened is that uh, I remember my senior year in high school, I told some guys, I said, I'm thinking about going to seminary. They go, what? How come? What's going on? And um, But I felt this calling to be a humanitarian. I wanted to go to seminary to learn about religion but I also felt that I wanted to be a humanitarian. I wanted to give back, which is part of what I do now. But when I actually ended up going to a Christian university in Lakeland, Florida, called Southeastern University, I did not go there to be a minister. I went there to learn more about God and to be a humanitarian. Got it. But it's a funny thing. They said, in order to be a communications minor, because I knew I had the gift to somehow communicate, you have to be a pastoral major. I said, huh, <laughs> what's that? That's studying to be a pastor. I said, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But So on your, yes. your first speaking gig was in front of a lot of people, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a, a wild deal. Is um, There was a well-known minister, and he was doing these African missions trips, and so this particular time, I was now 20 years of age. I had, I had spoken in small Bible studies, but that was, you know, like a little intimate group. But my first real speech or, you know, sermon in front of a larger group was in front of 13,000 people wow. in Nigeria. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing because the guy said, now you can do it, can't you? And I said, I mean, I think I could. So I, I went from 18 people to 13,000 overnight. That's yeah. amazing. Okay, so let's t take me to this. What was the dream then as opposed to what the dream is now? Is it the same? Is it different? How is it, how is it uh, kind of morphed? The, the dream is very simple. Um, you know, I think a lot of people get really caught up in what's next. Right. I, I really don't. Um, I am really good at living in the moment fully present, fully feeling, fully alive. So the dream then was to build up people, lift up people, change lives. It's the dream today. Whether I'm working with entertainers, NBA stars, NFL players, or a guy at 7-Eleven that's begging for money, to me, I'm in the moment doing the exact same thing I was doing when I was 20. I love that, you know, because I think it's important to understand that every interaction with another human being is an opportunity for leadership development and growth. And that's living in the moment. That's kind of how I define that, right? Because we're always yes. trying to search for, for, you know, the next plateau to plant the flag. And I, I think if we plant the flag, then the next thing available is a fall. The next thing coming to us is probably a fall, right? We yeah, no, no doubt about it. And then I think that that's what happens is that um, many times, you know, our motives and our mindset are good when we're young. So motives and mindset, because there's a lot of innocence there. Right. And in, in my business, you know, now I've been to 70 countries of the world. So I've been to the nicest hotels and the worst hotels. I've been treated the best. I've been treated not so good. And if you're not careful, you can start getting competitive and see it as a business. And I've been fortunate for the most part to have good people around me that have helped me stay on my yellow brick road. You know, it is interesting because you're right there in the heart of Hollywood, you know, and, and you know, the perception is anyway that that there 
there's no hope. All hope is lost. I mean, you're right there in the middle of it, like I said, and you're seeing, and you've talked and you worked with a lot of great people that people are hungry for all the same things, right? They're hungry for authenticity. They're hungry for this um, vulnerability, maybe. I don't know. Yes. It seems like there's... And, and, and understanding, like you're saying, your purpose, you know. Right. There's a saying that says, um, life without a purpose is just an experiment. Mm. And I think that people are so longing for purpose and many times longing for God, but they, they don't really want religion. They don't really want somebody talking down to them. And they also don't want to follow somebody that's, that their motives and mindset is really messed up. Uh, I think that, that part of my success in Hollywood since 1992, that's how long I've been here doing what I do is because again, it's the same as helping the guy who's begging for money at 7-Eleven. Right. So whether it's our an A-level actor that we see on a giant screen or some young kid trying to find his way, I'm still looking about ministering to somebody and, and lifting somebody up. What do you think some of the biggest challenges with, that, that are faced, I guess, from a, I guess from a cultural standpoint, but I guess I always go back to the leadership challenges, but what do you think some of the biggest challenges that are facing us today as opposed to maybe in 1992 or even earlier? Is it different? Is it getting worse? Yeah, I think it is definitely different because I think we need to uh, slow down to the speed of life. I say in my seminars, we've become human doings instead of human, human beings. beings. Right. And we, we are doing, 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 doing. And, you know, even in the area where you live, where you reside, there's probably more being than there is doing at the same pace to where I live in Los Angeles today. Because, you know, everybody's just hustling and moving and moving and texting and tweeting and, and Instagram. And it's all coming at you so fast, you know? Yeah. There was no like button 15 years ago. <laughs> right. I like so it. True. I like it. I like it. There was no selfie and um, so, no, distractions, distractions, distractions. We got to learn how to finish the course before we get the dessert, no doubt about it. So how do we do that? I mean, especially because the pressures and the, the technology, the information is coming to us at, at a more rapid pace. How do we slow down? How do we get more in tune with God? I mean, I do find myself struggling with that as an entrepreneur, as a father, as a husband. I always seem like yeah. I have to be doing something. How do we slow down? Okay, so here's what you have. Life is a battleground at times. There was a, a great song about that. You know, life is a battlefield. So life can be. Going to the DMV could be a battlefield. <laughs> right. <laughs> Driving can be. Going to the dentist, picking your kids up from school. If you're married, if you're single, whatever it is. But interesting thing about Jesus, he always went from the battleground to the holy ground, to the battleground, to the holy ground. So the holy ground is a place of secrets, safety, significance. It's a place of solitude. The holy ground is your prayer time, your devotion time. You know, Oprah asked me in the interview, you know, what, what do you do when you wake up? And I said, I like to take walks, but I like to be in the moment. I don't always listen to music. Sometimes I'm walking, I'm thinking, I'm meditating, I'm praying. So that's Tim's story on purpose going to the holy ground before I go back to the battleground. Right. Makes sense? Makes sense. So it is a decision. So we have to decide every single day, I need my holy ground time. And in that time, 
the Bible says if you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Mm. All of a sudden, man, there's changes in your mind. There's changes in the way you look at things. There's changes in the fact that now you're casting your cares upon God. Great way to start the day. Great way to end the day is going to the holy ground. I love that. I love the idea that you said because it is a daily battle, and you talk about that too, that that it is um... – there's going to be a fight, right? And I think that's yes. something to get used to. And, and I always, I'm a big fan of Stephen Pressfield too. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, but he yes. talks about it in the um, um, the War of Art, right? And we talk about mm-hmm. how you know God does put something on us. He puts something in our heart, and the dream is is big. It's unexpected, and, and that inner voice, that resistance, is telling us, "No, you're not good enough. You don't belong in this space. Are you crazy? You know, yes. they'll use people closest to you to tell you that you're crazy." But that intentionality of going to, like you said, that, okay, I'm going to get to a place where I can talk and I know I got to square up my shoulders and square up my feet and get in the battlefield every single day. But the professional, like you're talking about, takes that intentional time to kind of say, okay, yes. where is it you want it, me to go? As you just said, intentional time. So it's a, it's a decision that I make on a daily basis. And, you know, Stephen Covey, as you know, he says that someone else's urgent is not necessarily mine. Right. And in in my world, someone's looking for me right this second. Yeah. <laughs> and it's urgent. Yeah. <laughs> because I deal with a lot of people who do well. They're used to getting what they want now. So they may be driving down the street and go, I got to talk to Tim's story. So they dial my number. If they can't find me, that bothers a lot of them. So now they're starting to text. They're, they're find, finding various ways to look for me. Right. But... You know, I might be in a moment with my mother. My mother's 84, doing well, she's strong. I may be in a moment with my mother, and then maybe a few minutes later, I'll look at my phone, and I go like, oh, my gosh, I just got nine texts within, like, a couple minutes, and three of them are from pretty big people. <laughs> I don't care. I'm with my mother. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't keep stepping in and out of good moments and call this a life. Oh, I like that. Stepping in and out of good moments. It's recognizing that you're in a good moment too, right? Yes. It's recognizing. And you, again, I cannot keep stepping in and out of good moments and call this a life because life is living. Ephesians chapter four, verse one in the Bible says, live a life worthy of your calling. When it says live a life, it says be alive in your life. So a lot of people are living, but they're not alive in their life. Right. So right now, me and you are having a great conversation, and we are alive in our life. We are in this moment. Right. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that. You know, I think that – I'm curious about your your concept of fear and how, how to deal with it because a, kind of an aha moment for me on doing this show – and it was early on, and I was talking to a guest, and well, it was actually with Steve Forbes. Yeah. And the conversation was okay, and I wish I would have had this in recording, but it was after, and I was talking to him, and I said, how do you wake up every day and, and you know, deal with fear? And he laughed, and he says, I'm afraid every single day. He goes, I wake yes. up with doubts, and he has the limiting beliefs and the self-doubt. And that was kind of refreshing to me because it was like, I'm always looking at people that I put in success buckets. But what I realized was, look, everybody on a daily basis deals with that fear and that uncertainty. The fear and uncertainty never goes away. I mean, that's why we have leaders and, and leadership, and that's why we need to have that, that intentional space with God. What is your yeah, thoughts on that? Is I, that- I agree. And what happens is that um, as you build your faith, 
then I believe that fear begins to dissipate, but it doesn't always go away. Right. And I think that some fear is very healthy. Like, let's say if I'm doing an event in a new city, like Tim Story's coming to Toronto, I have a little bit of a healthy fear. I may call the guy who's doing the program and say, what have you done with PR? Right. How are we getting the, the word out there? Part of that is a healthy fear. Yeah, it's a good barometer, yeah. Yes. And so a healthy fear of, um, you know, I'm about to speak for Paul Mitchell salons. I really like the people at Paul Mitchell. So, I mean, it's, it's Magic Johnson. It's all these other great speakers they have. So there's a, a little bit of a healthy fear of, I better have my notes together. <laughs> right. Don't so, let anybody down. Yeah. Yeah, it could, it could be a, a, a healthy fear. But I think one thing that also eliminates uh, some degree of fear is realizing you don't always have to hit a home run. Mm. I think people, you know, I'm going to lose weight, but I'm going to lose 40 pounds. Or I'm going to get married and we're going to have two kids by this time. <laughs> so you, you're thinking in this whole home run mentality. I don't. I I. I go after base hits mm. because if I get a base hit, it takes me from one base. If I get another one, it takes me to the next base. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm coming around headed for home. So every day I'm looking for base hits. People come to me on a weekly basis. I've got a home run project for you. Always makes me a little nervous. I'm looking for a base hit. Yeah, that's great insight too because I think in – I know a lot of times when I talk to people about leadership – they're thinking that they have to be the one with the big idea, the grand vision. But so much of leadership is behind the scenes, the unsexy kind of tasks, the, the disciplined right. mundane that are very impactful, but no one ever sees. And so that's, I kind of, I like that analogy is like the base hit, because if you're always focusing on the home run, you can get discouraged really easy, right? Because 100% because it, it's not easy hitting a home run. Right. So let's, let's say a, a really great baseball player. Uh, they may hit 30 home runs, and that's considered an incredible year. But they have, you know, over 150 games, and they're hitting 30 home runs. So that's a lot of games without home runs, right? Right. But the guys that stay in the league a long time, a lot of times are great base hit. They're like Rod Carew. The guy was a great yeah. hitter. Tony Gwynn, you know, I'm talking old school back in the yeah. day. These guys were incredible hitters. They got on base. So I like getting on base. And another thing I find is interesting about this thing with fear. I really look at life that I may not be the man, meaning someone else may be the man. Like you look at the world of spirituality, religion, Joel Osteen, is the man. Right. I mean, the guy's got a church of 30,000 people. He's got his own station on Sirius XM. Right. He fills up stadiums of 16,000 people around the world. I'm not that guy. Make sense? Yeah, makes sense. People spend too much time trying to be the man. Just do you. Right. And you may be shocked. You might be the man in your world <laughs> right well you know i think it's so true i think i've noticed as i become more entrepreneurial over the last eight years i've i many times multiple times i found myself kind of falling into a comparison trap 
you know, say somebody has a similar podcast and I would try to compare myself with their numbers. And man, it's such a dangerous place to be because you, you stop kind of, like you said, being you. And if yes. you're focused on being you, being your authentic self, being your vulnerable self and sharing, it's just amazing that the more that I pulled back and tried to listen to what God, what do you want me to say? Or what, what do I need to say at this moment? The more that I've kind of, it's kind of like the less I did, the more impactful, the more things happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. Good, good, good thinking. Yeah. And it's, you know, I teach on there's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. Mm. So all of us have God ideas for our lives. God ideas bring God results. So I want to stay in my God idea anyway. I, want, I don't want to be in just a good idea. Years ago, I got, I got hired by one of the biggest, if not the biggest, companies to do a talk show. Same as like Ellen or Oprah. Mm-hmm. And you talk about excitement. Yeah, no kidding. Man, I remember coming out for practice to do this show. And you, you pull out of the nice New York hotel that they're paying for. <laughs> right. And you see the limousine that says your name, oh, Tim wow. Story. Yeah. I'm like, this I can live with. At <laughs> right, least for exactly. And then when that particular show did not work out, whoa, you talk about disappointment. Yeah. It was disappointment 10 times over because my family thought it was going to work out. My friend thought it was going to work out. I thought it was going to work out. I had already made preparation for it working out. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so what you have to do at that point in, a, in the midst of disappointment is really go back to God, go back to the holy ground we talked about earlier, and find out what is your now ex- assignment. You know, that one was not it, but what, what am I supposed to do now? You know, one thing I struggle with, though, is like, how do I know if God's talking to me or it's my own selfish interest? I mean, that may sound, it'd be easy to discern from, but I don't, when I say yeah. selfish interest, it's like, okay, if say, I feel God's put this on my heart and it's a crazy idea. I mean, it's big. It's crazy. How do I know that that's God speaking to me? No, that's a, that's a phenomenal question. Okay. As you know, there's different ways God speaks. One is through the inner witness where you feel like, man, I, I think I want to be a pilot. So it's like a, it's an inner witness. The other way he speaks is through circumstances. Mm. He does speak through circumstances. Things shift. God closes a door to open up the door. So one is inner witness. Two is circumstances. Three is through the word of God where you could be reading something and something bears witness with you. Mm. And you go, wow, look at what happened. Abraham walked by faith. He went into a land that he knew not of. That's what I'm doing. Okay, so the inner witness, the word of God, circumstances. But here's the way where most people miss it. God speaks through the multitude of counselors. It's important to put the right people around you where you can kind of weigh out your next move. Yeah, I do it. I got to do it because I've got so much coming at me at this point in my life that's positive. And I need to weigh it out with a few people that really know me to say, Tim, you may be biting off more than you can chew. Or you really think you can do nine jobs? You already have seven. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, pay attention to all those ways, but also the multitude of counselors putting the right people in your life. Yeah, but at some point, yeah, I love that. It is, it's great ways to look at it because I think we're looking for the burning bush, right? When we're stepping out of the shower or walking around the corner. 
but sometimes that burning bush is is given to you in so many ways that that we that we're not educated or we're not aware enough to look at. Like you said, the council, the people talking to you. Yes. Here's a good one for your listeners is that it doesn't always have to be spectacular to be supernatural. Right. See, we look for the spectacular because we, we heard that so-and-so got discovered this way. Spectacular. The lady from eat, pray, love, she went through all this stuff and then she got a book deal. And then Julia Roberts played her in a movie spectacular to be supernatural it may look very common yeah common day common people (laughs) but something uncommon will drop in the midst of your common i love that that's very good Mm -hmm. you know i think too when is i found that regardless of what i'm feeling and if when i'm talking about feeling i'm talking about like the resistance feelings or like you don't belong in this space or the negative self-talk i found that in those moments when it's spec- particularly when that's the loudest if i sit down regardless of what i'm doing and i do the work regardless of what i feel it seems like providence moves too it seems like that's the moments that providence seems to move more in my favor i get an unexpected phone call or i get an unexpected Yes, of course. Gig comes my way or something. Um, I don't know. Have you had that same experience? Yeah, and I think that that's what's happening is that you've gone from the natural to the supernatural. Is that God calls us to natural things. You know, Noah, build me an ark. Yeah, but I haven't seen rain and I got to spend my own money on supplies (laughs) and there's no Home Depot. (laughs) All right, so... He starts naturally, but then God comes and supplies supernaturally. So what we're looking for from people is natural movement. Is I don't feel good, Tim's story. I feel overweight. Okay, just walk around the block the first day. Natural movement. I've been depressed, and uh, I, I, I don't know what to do. Well, go to a class. Take a cooking class. Uh, do something you've never done before. Natural movement, and it creates movement, I think, even in the spirit world where supernatural events start taking place. So is that your best? Yeah, I like that, the natural movement. It's taking action. But again, the action doesn't have to be spectacular, like you were saying. And I think um, if we find ourselves in that dark space, is that the best thing we can do? Just do something? Do do something, but, but do something heading somewhere. Like, for instance, with the purpose, have some purpose behind it, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Be- and here's here's what happened to me. When I was in college, I realized, wow, I might be a speaker because these people say I can communicate. OK, so I'm going to start reading aloud to practice my diction. And people say, man, when you speak, you don't miss many words. Your, your diction is on. That's hard work. I was behind the scenes reading Kurt Vonnegut books out loud to practice my diction. I was always uh, studying things in the dictionary, different words. I was studying comedians. I don't study like regular speakers. I study comedians because <laughs> right. they have great time. Sure, yeah, the rhythm, yeah. The rhythm. And so that was me doing movement. Then now I've spoken to as high as 85,000 people in one sitting. And whoa, I didn't think about the 85,000. I was thinking about just getting better at what I was about to do. Yeah. So that that's it. 
do something today. Today's decisions are tomorrow's realities. I love that. You talk a lot about and come back and beyond about, you know, preparing for the unexpected. I love that chapter, by the way. What? How do we prepare for, you know, God really does throw some unexpected curves our way. Um, how do we prepare for that? It's It's in the daily disciplines, you know. One of the things that we have to teach our children is the daily disciplines that to them, they don't want to do. They, they, they think they're things that are like beneath them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like uh, the tags on your car, you know, your registration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, doing tedious things. Same thing in life. I, I, I feel that some people... They're, they're, they're waiting for the big. Yeah. But you have to prepare for the big. And it's things like feeling good about yourself and having a good mindset and learning how to balance your checkbook and knowing your social security number by heart. It's, it's the small things that matter. And in, in my life, in the areas where I have failed, if I was to go back it's I did not remember things learned when I started. Yeah. The daily disciplines that I then did not practice for a season got me in trouble by not practicing those disciplines, which has been um, a great thing for you by being from the military background. Look at the discipline, right? Right. Yeah. You guys learned and it's it's helping you in your daily life, right? Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, it's it's the little things again that nobody sees. I think we put so much emphasis on talent in the society. And my gosh, and you have and, and especially in the world and the people that you've coached and helped helped throughout, I mean, it's all about the talent, right? And we put yes. so much emphasis on it. But talent doesn't really deliver sustainable results. And what I mean by that is there has to be something else. Talent is a given. You know, if you're in the realm, if you're going to play in the NBA, it's just a given that you're going to be good at basketball. If I'm going to be a pilot, it's a given yeah. It's a given that I know how to fly a plane well in, in the worst type of weather conditions. There has to be something else. And that's what I wish people would see because they get so focused on, you know, the stardom and the talent. And if I could just get talented, then life would be great but my gosh everybody you deal with is extremely talented and they're still missing something right there's something yeah no that's that's true and i you know listen you said that in a great way about the the talent uh even today when i go speak at schools i'll say to kids you know what do you want to be when you grow up a celebrity right right (laughs) i didn't know that was an occupation Yeah, but it's it it is as biblically it says it's the it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, and it is the little things in our life that usually uh, get people in trouble, right? Right. But the great thing about the comeback is that if you had a setback, which you all have, that you don't have to sit, settle, or cement yourself, but that you can have a comeback. And a comeback is God breathed when he breathes life back into you. God inspired and God endorsed. Yeah. And so that's the great thing about life. I work with a lot of people that have had major setbacks and some of us never knew about it, even though they're stars. But they had major setbacks and we walk them into really good comebacks. Any any um in all the dealings that you've dealt with and the people you've dealt with, anything that really kind of 
uh, really moved you or really kind of knocked you back a little bit from a transform from a transformative experience anyway something that that you really saw god's god's work in action that really just kind of blew you away yeah i mean in in some of the big big stars that i deal with you know and and it's amazing several of them that have had addiction problems where they were so bad that I remember talking to a really well-known agent in Hollywood. They said, this particular guy's done. He's, he's finished. It's It's over. It's over for him. Yeah. They, they, nobody wants to insure him. And it's one of the biggest stars we have in the world. So to see that someone can go from nowhere to now here, is one of the wonderful things of life. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, because we we sometimes write people off that God has definitely not written off. So we go like, Ichabod, you're done. It's over. Well, maybe in your mind, because you don't think beyond. See, God thinks beyond, superior, surpassing. Yeah. So he thinks beyond. He creates beyond. He forgives beyond. He loves beyond. He's a beyond thinker. Right. It's good for us. Oh, that's exciting stuff. Gosh, I mean, I love, love the work. I love what you do. I mean, you know, your books are fantastic. Um, just sitting here having the time to meet with you has been a great privilege and honor. If I could, as we kind of wrap things up here, kind of a fun question. If you, I'm interested in who your heroes are. If you could have the ultimate dinner party and invite five people alive or dead, who would those people be? Yeah, I'll, I'll name a couple of them. Um, I was just in South Africa, and I could see, you know, past the water where Nelson Mandela Mm. was imprisoned, I would definitely say Nelson Mandela would be one of the people. Um, I would also say Mother Teresa, if I could get her to talk, because everybody (laughs) said that she was very quiet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think maybe I could tell her some really funny jokes. (laughs) So now I got at the table, I got Nelson Mandela, I got Mother Teresa, and sitting next to her, I'm going to blow people away with this, but I would really like to have communicated with Marilyn Monroe. Oh yeah. Um, Tony Curtis became a friend of mine. The Tony Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. The actor, Tony Curtis became my friend, even did me a painting. Oh, that's awesome. Gave it to me for free. Tony Curtis told me some great Marilyn Monroe stories that she was, she was smarter than people actually knew. Right. I would like to have wanted to, converse with her yeah and that would have been a great table right there oh, Adela, maryland sitting next to mother Teresa. <laughs> that would be awesome i would love yes. to be at that party you know I, you know i've heard that about marilyn Monroe too and it's true that she really had from a intellectual side from a spiritual side something pretty resonating pretty deep within her. and it's unfortunate you know that she kind of got caught up in those insecurities for whatever reason you know right right no doubt about it but I, I think I think one of the takeaways from this conversation is that, um, you know, we we've been born an original. Don't die a copy and just be uniquely you yeah. and f- fiddle around, fuddle around, fall down, get back up. Welcome to the planet. Welcome to life. Well said, Tim. How can people find you and get in touch with you? TimStory.com. Perfect. TimStory.com. So story, in my case, is spelled S-T-O-R-E-Y. So TimStory.com. Then you'll enter into our world and see all the things that we're doing. Tim, we'll have links to all this on the post. 
what a blessing to have met you and to converse with you this time, this past 40 minutes. It's been a true ple- pleasure and honor of mine. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It is a privilege to be on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.